Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This episode is brought to you by Great Hearts Academies, a nonprofit network of K-12 public charter schools offering a rigorous classical liberal arts education grounded in the best of the Western tradition. Great Hearts operates 34 academies in Arizona and Texas, serving over 21,000 students with plans for further growth underway. Great Hearts is in search of exceptional school leaders who embrace a classical and liberal philosophy of education and who possess a well-grounded vision for the moral and intellectual formation of the human person. Learn how you can join a community of classical leaders by visiting greatheartsamerica.org careers. That's greatheartsamerica.org careers. You're listening to the Circe Podcast Network. I'm Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial, the podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs, by which I mean wise sayings a man may live by if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Episode 47, Fathers and Sons. Today's proverb comes from Goethe. I'll read it twice. We can't form our children on our own concepts. We must take them and love them as God gives them to us. Once more. We can't form our children on our own concepts. We must take them and love them as God gives them to us. There's a sort of knee-jerk response to this, which a lot of modern Christians, maybe Christians across the centuries, would give to this quote. And that response is, no, sorry, Goethe, you're wrong. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. I am going to teach my children to love God. 
It's not rocket science. It's not magic. It's not a lottery. You train a child to love God. You train a child to love his mother, respect women, and he'll do it. God has placed that power in the hands of parents. Mother and father are not just accidents of nature. They're mystical roles imbued with certain mysterious powers, powers that are unexplainable by reason. And for the man who loves God and raises his children right, God responds in kind. If we pray that God will take care of our children, he will. And so a man does have control over his children. A man does form them on his own concepts. I can agree with all of that or almost all of that. But that's not really what the quote is about. The quote has something more to do with the difference between friends and family. We don't often distinguish between friends and family. Modern people don't like to distinguish between friends and family. We have confused both of these categories of people to such an extent that we have a difficult time actually separating the two. Friends and family, the, the expression just rolls off the tongue. Friends and family. Friends and family discount, friends and family sale. There was some old phone company, cell company, the friends and family plan. They go together. And we want to believe that there's no higher, there's no more grand relationship than a friendship. And so we like to brag about how our spouse is our friend, our best friend. And we like to brag that our parents have become our friends. And this seems like a significant claim. It seems as though when a father becomes a friend, well, the relationship is more profound. Now, I wouldn't deny that when a man grows up, he can have a kind of equality with his father that allows for real friendship. And I'm not suggesting that there's anything wrong with saying, my father is my friend, my mother is my friend. But the idea that friendship is the highest and best sort of relationship to be in is faulty, I think. We prefer to see all things in terms of friendship because we have more control over our friends than we do over our family. And because the modern man loves control, he wants all relationships to fall within the realm of his control as much as possible. And you can simply control your friends more than your family. Now, I don't mean that you can push your friends around. I mean that you can control who your friends are. Whereas you can't control who your family is. You can form your friendships. You can choose your friends 
on your own concepts, to borrow Goethe's term. But you can't choose or form your children on your own concepts every time. Now, it's true that if you raise your child to love jazz, if you raise your child to love barbecue, if you raise your child to love whatever it is that you love, there's a good chance that they'll hold on to those loves into old age. I don't think that Goethe's proverb is meant to be taken in some sort of absolute sense. And in order to debunk proverbs, the modern man often reads them in a sort of absolute sense. And he disagrees, and he says, well, I'm forming my own children on my own concepts, and it's working out pretty well so far. I love the movies of Fellini. My son loves the movies of Fellini. I think I've raised him according to my own concepts. Solomon says, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, but time and chance happen to them all. The battle is usually to the strong, and the race is usually to the swift. If you're training to run a race, or if you're training for the Olympics, it's not as though it's the Christian coach's responsibility to say, well, you're basically on your own. It doesn't really matter how you train, uh, because the race is not to the swift. So uh, feel free to eat whatever you like. Don't bother uh, working out. Uh, we're just going to show up on the day of the time trials and hope that you're the only one who doesn't fall on his face before hitting the finish line. Uh, that's naive. That's daft. That won't work. So the race is usually to the swift, but there's no guarantees. You can train for years and then break your ankle the day before the race that really matters. You can spend a year two years, three years, building a house with your own hands, and then it burns down the night before you move in. So there's no guarantees. I've written about this at length elsewhere. You can try to form your children on your own concepts, and sometimes it'll work. But because you can't choose your children, because you don't choose your children on the grounds that they please you, they sort of have to please you sort of have to be happy with them. You have to be content with them. You don't really have to be content with your friends. You leave your friends. You can go for months without calling somebody, quit answering their emails, the friendship will fall apart. And three years after you've spoken to the person for the last time, you'll think, I remember when I used to know that guy. Don't really want to know him anymore. It's been a while. Don't really feel the need to get in contact with them anymore. Friendships can do that. You can do that in a friendship. But family works a little bit differently. You might be alienated from your father, but every time you hear the word father, you think of him. Whereas every time you hear the word friend, you don't necessarily think of the friend that you quit returning their calls years ago. Friends can ultimately go away after you haven't spoken to them in a long time. The word father will always bring to mind your father, no matter how long it's been since you spoke to him. Now, I think, so far as this quote goes, we can't form our children on our own concepts. We have to take them and love them as God gives them to us. 
The sort of person that is frustrated by this tends to be the sort of person who still has children at home. When you talk about the need to be obedient, when you talk about this inviolable bond between parent and child, most people think of themselves as the parent. Train up a child in the way he shall go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. The average person who's going to argue that that verse from Deuteronomy contradicts Goethe's quote thinks of themselves as the parent, not the child. Train up a child in the way you should go. Yeah, you're a child. So look at your parents and ask yourself to what degree you are still carrying a torch for all the things that they love. Train up a child in a way he should go. That's you. You're the child. Do you still go to the same church that your parents did? Do you still believe the same things about God that they did? Do you believe the same things about race and gender and money and honor? But they did. Okay. Well, we can see that it all looks very differently, or at least a little differently, when you're thinking of yourself as the child as opposed to the parent who gets to form the child in your own image. You think of your children as being more like you, and you're comfortable with that, than you are like your parents, which you're less comfortable with. If your children are still at home, when you think of the parent-child relationship, you think of one that involves control. And that's fine, because it does. And control's not a bad thing. If, how about this, authority's not a bad thing. But we prefer in all of our relationships to think of ourselves as the one with authority. And so when we hear about fathers and sons, we always think of ourselves as the authoritative one. When I was in my 20s, I had a lot of friends. And I would say I had an unusual number of friends because I lived in a city where the people I went to church with were also the people I went to school with, and very few people moved away for college. So when I was you know, 20 or 21, I had friends from church and friends from high school and friends from college, these three circles of friends. And it was a, I mean, I had a massive number of friends, not just acquaintances. I'm using the, friend, the word friend with some amount of care here. There's a large number of people with whom I could share my thoughts, share my feelings, be honest with, cry in front of. And I was always very impressed with myself for having so many friends. When I was 20, 21, 22, 23, I thought of myself as a person with a lot of friends, and I was, I was quite impressed with the amount of love I had to give. And like many teenagers do, and maybe people in their early 20s, I often thought to myself and sometimes even said to myself, my friends are like my family. Man, the first time you say that, you feel as though you are on a higher level of consciousness than other people. My friends are like my family. 
It's kind of a romantic thing to say. It's a bit of a rogue, desperado kind of sentiment. My friends are like my family. It's the same sort of appeal. It's the same reason why most novels written for 12 and 13 year olds have orphans in them. <laughs> because everyone likes to think of themselves as all alone. You read a story about somebody with no parents and you're like, I wish I had no parents. <laughs> Wouldn't my life be amazing with no parents? And you might love your parents very much, still at the age of 12 or 13, but when you read the story about the kid with no parents or no dad, you're like, wow, he's really, br he's really tough. This kid is self-made man. That's what you think of the character with no parents or no father. So I was very impressed with myself and my you know, 29 friends and the closeness of our friendship. And I would say, oh, my, my friends are like my family. And I thought that this meant that I was this profoundly generous, grand-hearted sort of person. And, and the logic here was, well, you have to love your mother and father. And you have to love your siblings. But beyond that, you don't have to love anybody else. Like you're, you're kind of forced by nature or convention into loving your parents, and they have to love you. But to love other people as deeply as you love your family, to say my friends are like my family, means I have these vast reservoirs, these bottomless repositories of love to give. Now, what I didn't recognize at the time, teenager, 20s, what I didn't recognize at the time was that I had chosen my friends. I didn't recognize what that meant. I had chosen my friends on the basis of our compatibility. I chose my friends because they liked the same things that I did. They enjoyed the same sort of music, culture. They were in the same phase of life that I was. Broke, on your own, desperado. I'd chosen them because they were like me. Now, I, I was friends with them. I'm not saying that the, that the friendship we shared was fake at all. But I chose them because they were compatible with me. And because they're like me, and because my friends were as broke as I was, we had this simple sort of relationship with each other. My friends were not financially responsible for me, I, which means I never hit them up for money, which means they never started prying around in my life to see if I was the sort of person who could repay them. That was not the way the relationship worked. When you need to... If you need five bucks, you hit up your friend. When you need 5,000 bucks, you hit up your parents. Your friends are not going to loan you $5,000. A friendship can't really sustain a $5,000 loan. The reason why a friendship can't sustain a $5,000 loan is because it doesn't have to. The reason why you can get a $5,000 loan from your parents is because f fatherhood doesn't end. So as I got older, I realized, 
I mean, when I became a father, I realized that my conception of the love between parents and children had always been all wrong. I always thought of the love between parents and children as a sort of automatic thing. And of course, when you're 19, you really want someone to choose to love you. If someone will choose to love you, your whole existence will be vindicated. Your mother loves you. Your mother has to love you. She didn't get a choice. So the fact that your mother loves you is no big deal. That's the way you feel when you're 19. You want someone to vindicate your existence by looking you in the eye and saying, I love you. I choose you. You are the chosen one. That's what you want someone, that's what you want some girl to say when you're 19. And that love seems more real because it's chosen. However, when you get older, you realize that the idea that your parents have to love you is all wrong. Your parents don't have to love you. Stories about fathers that murder their children in the news every day. <laughs> you don't have to love your kids. Now here's the thing. It's a duty to love your children. Now in that sense you have to, but when we're young, when you're 19 and you want the love of some girl, you say, well, my mother has to love me. And you think that it's automatic. You think that when you say my mother has to love me that it's automatic, that there's no other way, that mothers and their children are bound together by some force that the mother doesn't have to work at. And that's what you mean when you say, yeah, my mother has to love me, as though it requires no effort. But that's not the way that duty works. Your parents have a duty to love you whether they like you or not. They have a duty to love you whether they convince you to like jazz and barbecue like they do. Now, as you get older, you start to realize that love which fulfills duty is more impressive than love which is voluntarily created out of sympathy or union of, of habits and preferences with another person. Now, what's kind of remarkable about marriage is that marriage actually segues from a chosen love into this duty, right? That's what happens in the moment of marriage. Like you marry somebody for whatever reasons you want, but all those reasons go away as soon as you're married. Like the reason why you love somebody after you're married is because you swore to God that you would do so. That's duty right there. And, the, and a love that fulfills a duty is a more profound thing than a love that you volunteer and which can ultimately be forgotten. A familial relationship is much harder to sustain than a friendship that's built on similar interests. And one of, these the, one of the reasons for this is that we have responsibilities to our family that we don't have for our friends. That's the reason why we make tremendous efforts to go see our family and friends, even when it's incredibly unpleasant. I, I don't mean that I don't enjoy spending time with my friends and family, not at all. But 
Over the years, over the last seven years, I've lived in Richmond, Virginia, and my wife's parents live in the Pacific Northwest. Going out to see them is a pain. And that's not like an in-laws joke or something. But I mean, like, getting out there is a pain. It's a pain to not be in my own house with my own things and my own rules. Now, I wouldn't trade it, though. Because it's more important to work on family relationships than it is to be comfortable. And this is, you know, I mean, Christmas is a month ago now. But this is, I think, one of those things that often makes Christmas miserable for people unnecessarily is we think that Christmas is about having fun. Um, We think December 25th is about having fun. When a lot of the time that we spend on the 25th is with family who we don't necessarily agree with on everything. And we make this gargantuan effort to go to be with our families. Your friends live near you. Your family doesn't necessarily live near you. That's the modern reality. So it's expensive to go live in somebody else's house, I mean, when they live across the country, to get in a plane, to fly across the country, to spend time in somebody else's house with their rules and their favorite TV shows on and so on and so forth. And I mean, in the middle of that kind of Christmas trip, you go to see your parents, you're there for the, you know, they're at their house for five or six days. And you think at some point in all that, like, this this would be a lot more fun if we were just hanging out with friends back home. Well, of course it would. Your friends are your age. They like your things. Of course, it'd be more fun. There are more important things than fun, though. So we feel it's a duty to go see our families every so often, even when it's not fun. And we feel this is a duty because the relationship cannot be replaced. It cannot be borne away by anything. And so you're stuck with like this lifelong tinkering with these relationships. This is another reason for the difficulty that often attends family relationships as opposed to friendships. Family relationships are given to far greater change than relationships with friends. So I mean, every 10 years, there's new ground to cover with your dad. You become a little more like him. That's not really the way that friendship works. No, I mean, friends change, but friendships don't change as much as relationships with parents. Relationship with a parent can suddenly surprise you. Relationship with a friend, far less likely. A good relationship with your parents is satisfying in a way that friendship can't always offer. And I really think this goes back to the concept of duty. So, I mean, when you're in your early 20s, you don't have any duties. You don't really understand duty. So when you hear the word duty, you think of this kind of banal bureaucratic thing that you're required to do, like chores. But the older you get, the more you realize that people who do their duties keep the world running. And they keep it running for people that don't do their duties. And that's the point at which 
any relationship that's built on duty seems like it's productive or that it creates stability in the world. And again, I don't want to suggest that friendship is worthless. I don't believe that at all. I think friendship is profoundly important to a man's sanctification. Friendship is one of the great consolations of life. But to conflate the importance of friendship with the duty of family is dangerous because it shortchanges the importance of family. Now, like Goethe says, you can't choose your family. You live together. You become like one another. You share memories in common, convictions in common. You've seen many of the same things. But ultimately, your family is, a, is more like a group of strangers that you live with that you have a duty to love. And I say strangers in the sense that, yes, you know them. Yes, you've grown up with them and spent time with them. But you didn't choose them. And because you didn't choose them, if you can learn to love your parents, not as a child when it's easy, but as an adult when it's more difficult, if you can learn to love your parents when they're more like your equals, there's a sense in which you can learn to love anyone. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.